Welcome to Dates with Death, the Paris Institute for Critical Thinking's podcast series dedicated to death and all that comes with it. For a long time, the topic of death has been considered as taboo in the West, even almost completely banished from our lives. This has come at a price. So we take it upon ourselves to reinaugurate the quintessential philosophical task, at least according to Cicero, namely to meditate upon death. In today's death, it is my great pleasure to be accompanied by Dr. Anik Wutrich. Anik is an Egyptologist working in the Österreichisches Archäologischen Institut from the Austrian Academy of Sciences in the ERC project Challenging Times, a new approach to written sources for ancient Egyptian chronology. Hello, Anik, and welcome. Hello. Now, as has become the habit here at Dates with Death, I would like to start by asking you the basic question of why death? Why, when, and how did you become interested in the peculiar object of Egyptian death? Because that is obviously what we are going to be talking about today. This is a very interesting question, Christoph, and uh, also a very personal one. I think that uh, it is not death as such that I'm interested in. I would have, for instance, difficulties to study human or animal mummies but more the question of how we manage the passage between life and death, how we can apprehend what happens after death. Personally, I'm very impressed by the people considering that death is the end of everything and there is nothing after. Therefore, Egypt was perhaps unavoidable, even if I confess it was not what attracted me in the first place to this civilization. As a child, I wanted to understand how the Cheops pyramid was built. It is indeed a tomb, but I don't think that the first impression this huge monument gives is connected with death. However, the Egyptologist by necessity is permanently confronted to death. The sources we are working with are almost exclusively linked to it and they are especially numerous and aim as en at ensuring survival after death. Almost everything we have from Egypt was meant and conceived to persist. There is almost no object, no text, no monument that hasn't a direct or in indirect correlation with death or maybe with the eternity. Obviously, we must exclude the daily object that uh, have been found only marginally because urban sites uh, often haven't been excavated properly. We should also exclude texts that we can compare with our modern drafts or the administrative documents. Let me give you an example. The tales, for, in for instance, they are literature, more or less, with a profane content and with no real link with the funerary rituals. However, Many papyri on which they have been written and the provenance of which we know have been found in tombs as a, some kind of library meant for the deceased. The finality of the conservation of those papyri in a place that seems to us inappropriate is probably trivially related to the wish to keep in the afterlife the same object as in this life. Objects that we define as daily objects have hence been found in such contexts. During the Middle Kingdom, that means uh, between the 21st and the 18th century BCE, graves contain sometimes what we call models. They are objects representing scenes of life, some 
like butchery, bakery, houses, etc. Death is just everywhere, but is it is not gloomy. I dare say that life is everywhere in death. Even texts on sarcophagi in temples or on stile have the function of persisting forever beyond the death of the one who wrote it or had it written. There is thus no fascination for me for death itself, but potentially for the way humanity has been thinking about it and for what they did with those thoughts. Besides, the death process in ancient Egypt is evoked only occasionally. Among the wishes of the living, they wish to have a long life, ideally 110 years. But the age of the disease is mentioned only rarely before the first millennium BCE, and even then, it remains very uncommon. The gods grant the king a long lifespan and afterwards a life in eternity. That's representation uh, as well, very unusual. The death of the enemies is depicted in some war representation, but never the death of the Egyptians. There is as well no representation or explanation of what happens directly after death. Most of, our, of the information on these subjects come from the Greek authors who describe the Egyptian mummification like Herodotus or from the mummy's scientific examination. We have some texts and representations such as the mummification ritual that explains very concretely the different steps of the technical and liturgical preparation of the cadaver in the first century AD. The three manuscripts containing these texts are however not completely preserved and they do not allow to understand completely the course of the rituals that are not always described very precisely. I should also underline the date of transmission, the first century AD. The mummification practices change greatly over time. Another text, the opening of the mouth ceremony, explains how to magically reactivate the mummy by allowing her, among other things, to breathe again. The act of dying is hence not mentioned, no agony, no expiration. The old age and its decay are, however, evoked in some texts, like the prelude to the maxims of Tahotep, a wisdom text that mentioned the negative effects of aging on the body and the spirit. Now, there is the important question of what we should do with the dead. Ancient Egypt provided and provides us a huge quantity of human bodies and mummified animals. There is here an important and fundamental ethical question. What should we do with them? Should we exhibit them in museum? And if we do so, in which condition? It is nowadays an important question in museum and as well in the archaeological milieu. And for my part, I prefer not to work with human bodies or, and to focus my research on how the ancient Egyptian conceived the afterlife. To come back to your initial question, I could summarize by saying that I'm interested in the idea linked to the afterlife and the funeral rituals more than in death. Yeah, thank you. Turning to Egyptian culture and death, would it be possible to say something a bit more general or in general, that is offer a broad description of how the ancient Egyptians understood death? I know that what I'm asking here is an almost impossible task, 
and we won't be able to cover all aspects of this culture. Ancient Egyptian culture, in fact, lasted for almost three millennia, and it went through many changes, but maybe some basic aspects can be phrased that will facilitate our listeners for what will come. And maybe here, Salima Ikram's observation, but you mentioned it already also in, in your first answer, uh, that one can be forgiven for thinking that Egyptians were obsessed by death, uh, can be of help here, help here. Egyptians, in fact, were obsessed, obsessed with life and its continuation, so uh, Ikram says. And it is along these lines that we should also enter into the ancient Egyptian world and its relation with death. As you said, so yourself just now, uh, there is a connection with that, but there is more than anything a connection with life. And maybe our Western and Christian bias seems to harden our full understanding of this aspect. So maybe can you say something in general terms about the uh, way the Egyptians understood death? I can try. <laughs> death is part of life in ancient Egypt. Before mm. the creation, it is already a part of the uncreated. It is suspended. It is part of the natural order. The main difficulty to understand death in this culture comes from the fragmentary discourse we have. On one side, because texts are incomplete, and on the other side, because we don't have all the information we need to understand these texts. The lexical and conceptual background, um, I should as well underline that the Egyptian discourse on this subject does not exist in itself. Mm and that some notions are absent or only evoked, at least from our point of view. Mm. But to try to summarize very briefly, um, there exist two kinds of death. The first one is the one we all will eventually undergo that is not wished, but it seems as unavoidable. And the second, definitive. I will come back to this second death in a moment. Mm. In a text probably dated to the first intermediate period, that is to say the 23rd to the 21st century BCE, a, a text called The Dispute Between a Man and His Ba, a man discusses with his Ba, basically his soul, mm. about death and more generally about the fall of the social values. They speak about the passing of time and the inexorability of death. The man, um, a wise man, Analyze, analyzes death as a release from a world that does not follow the social norms anymore. Society became selfish and everyone is isolated. He sees death as a desired state because it could allow to restore the social link between the individuals that fail in this life. Death is in this text considered as a healing, as the place where the balance is restored. The Ba proposes the opposite reflection. The Ba tries to convince the man of the vacuity of the funerary offerings and the pointlessness of the funerary practices. Its attitude is the opposite of the usual Egyptian concepts. Its reflection is elaborated around the reality of death and the pains that it causes. After this episode, the wise man speaks again and explains in four poems the reason why death as he conceived it, that is to say the conformity to the moral rules is the only solution. Mm. The bar ends up sticking uh, to his arguments and assures him of its loyalty. Mm. Even if this kind of literature we call 
it's pessimistic, gave us several texts reflecting this world upside down in which the social norm and the human links disappeared. It is an exceptional document that goes against what we usually read on death in this culture. It shows, however, that there existed a deep reflection on this topic, even if it remained marginal. Mm. The second death, death I mentioned at the beginning of my intent version, mm -hmm. the definitive one, literally the death that is repeated in Egyptian, is the most frightening for the ancient Egyptian. This second death is the one which results from the abandoning of the funerary rites. If the cult for the disease is abandoned, in other words, if the memory of the disease falls apart, the cult, the funerary cult, is essentially based on the material offerings made by the priest or the family, but it is also linked to the maintenance of the tomb. Mm. Theoretically, this cult should persist for the eternity. The cadaver must not endure outrages that would mean the loss of its integrity. The mummification and the preservation of the cadaver is hence indispensable. Therefore, the death by drawing or burning can con was considered the worst infamy to inflict to somebody. Mm. One of the tales of the papyrus, papyrus Vesca, for instance, explained the story of a priest who, to take revenge of his adultery wife made a wax crocodile that is animated so that it seized the lover and drawn him. Hmm. His wife is then condemned to be burned. Okay. Death was considered as a rupture of the social bond, uh, as Jan Asman said. To die is a form of isolation and only funerary rituals and other practices will allow to restore this bond between the living and the dead. Hmm. One could write to the deceased, feed him, uh, pray uh, to him, or frighten him. Mm. As I already told you, the disease has to be physically prepared to survive death. Mummification practices had to avoid at any cost the bodily decay, but it was not enough. For the ancient Egyptian, if I schematize a little because those concepts evolved greatly over time, a person is constituted by several components. Mm. There is the name that had to be written and pronounced during the funerary cult. Texts inscribed on the tomb entrance request the passerby to, uh, pass sorry, to speak mm. the name of its owner in order that he leaves further. Mm. Likewise, to erase a name from the walls constitutes what we call a damnatio memoriae. Mm. It was the punishment reserved to the people who were banned from eternity. The criminals condemned had their name changed so that they lost the advantages linked to their name. Mm. Every name is therefore semantically motivated and shows the piety against the divinity or the respect for the king or some, sometimes a life wish. Mm. We can say that the name is programmatic. Mm. A person has then a bar. I already mentioned this word uh, mm -hmm. in, in the last question. We translate these words inappropri inappropriately by soul for lack of an appropriate concept. Mm. It is basically the mobile part of the disease, which can go wherever it wishes. 
it is represented as a bird with a human head that must be able to separate from the cadaver and to reunite with it. Hmm. The bear can go outside the tomb and go for a walk, enjoy the offerings and the festivals, drink, eat, before it goes back into the underworld. Okay. Like the shadow figured as a black human form that must as well free itself from the cadaver, Ba and shadow are the essential physical components of the deceased, mm. whereas name I mentioned and Ka belong to the social sphere. This last concept of Ka is a very complex concept that is associated to the idea of double mm. uh, vital force or spirit, even conscience. Mm. Everyone is born with a car, even you, <laughs> um, but it manifests <laughs> itself only after death. It is represented like its owner, two stretch arms directly uh, directed to the sky on the head. It is a form of alter ego of the disease. It allows him to recover his social status and his dignity to be part against of the ancestors community. It includes hence the deceased moral aspect like his heart, which with which it is closely associated in the funerary text. Mm. The heart is as well an important component of the dead's personality. It is his memory, the guarantor of his behavior on, on hers. These different elements must be preserved, but they must also be reunited and put together to defeat the death state so that they can interact and become uh, an ach, a justified. Okay. This state, ach, that is not completely specific to the death, the death allows the deceased to recover the energy that he needs to move again and to act as he wishes. The world is closely linked to the idea of light and shine. One becomes Ach through the divine willingness, the knowledge of the rites and magical spells, the holding of the funerary cult and the dead judgment. Mm. Until now I spoke about dead, death, but it's also important to speak about life. As you mentioned it uh, in your in your question, the hieroglyph for life, Ang, symbolizes this union between mm. the different components. It is a note um, whose meaning and origin is much more complex that, than a simple cross or key, as often min mentioned in the non-Egyptological literature. Mm. Mm. Um, recently, Dimitri Mex uh, has shown that the sign has several semantic levels, but can be interpreted uh, as the link between all the elements uh, and therefore symbolize life. Okay. So to die and to have access to the funerary rituals was the guarantee that one will be able to go to the underworld. Um, one of the representation of the underworld is called Duat. Um, some texts reveal us the geography of this place that seems to be divided into caves and regions separated by doors guarded by demons and formidable mm. guardians. They are the ones who should be persuaded to release the passage by using magical spells from the funeral literature. Mm. It seems that 
all these places lead to the all of the Tumat, the judgment place presided by the god Osiris. Mm. Uh, we have other representation of the afterworld. For instance, one um, of this Egyptian conception of this place is not frightening at all. Um, this place is called the field or march of reeds. Mm. It is a life place, an idealized place in which shadow, mildness, water, and all life pleasures are present as an idyllic picture of a dream life just like the Nile, the Nile Valley as opposed to the desert was. Mm. This afterward appears uh, uh, as frozen. So everyone seems to have the same status. Um, we, we have um, the, the chapters 110 of the Book of the Dead uh, with a description of what happened there. I just read some of, of this, uh, of this mm -hmm. description. It's... Yeah. Uh, Ploughing therein, reaping and eating therein, drinking therein, copulating and doing everything that was once done and on earth by the reader. Hmm. So that's the representation of, of one of the that's one of the representation of the afterworld. Hmm. And, and just as an anecdote, the name, um, the origin of the name Elysian mm -hmm. that we use to describe uh, the paradise derives from the Egyptian word for read. It's okay. the word yalu. Oh, so, okay. yeah. um, it is complicated uh, to, to figure out how exactly the ancient Egyptian and the word um, looks like, mm. since it is clear that not one and uh, single representation existed. Several traditions have coexisted simultaneously. Mm. Likewise, um, several representations of the underworld can be assembled in the same text. Mm. One could say that several experiences of the afterworld coexisted. However, this afterworld can be reached only after a full uh, life. Mm. One should act properly. Uh, we, we can read um, the topos of the generosity. For instance, I gave bread to the hungry, water to the thirsty, thirsty etc. You, you have to leave a trace through a funerary monument, have descendants to perpetuate the memory. And one of the, the important thing is also to go back to your origin tongue, uh, town. Okay. One, one other particularities of the ancient Egyptian um, is that everybody die, uh, will die even some gods, we have dead gods in ancient Egypt. Mm. Um, the most famous one is probably Osiris. Mm. Uh, the Osirian myth is in this case, constituent of the death representation. Um, Osiris is the dead god par excellence and the god of the dead. L at the beginning, he's a living king, um, mm. but has been murdered by his brother Seth, cut into pieces and thrown into the Nile. Um, the, his sister wife Isis magically recomposes his body and gets inseminated by him to give birth to the son Horus, his successor on hers, and the living king par excellence. This narrative is never evoked so clearly in, in the ancient Egyptian sources, and we have to deal once again with the Greek authors mm. to, to know more about mm. that. The Egyptian texts are always allusive. Mm. 
Therefore, every living king is a Horus and will become an Osiris when, we, when he dies. Um, during the, the, the course of the second millennium BCE, every justified disease, male or female, associated um, the post-mortem fate to Osiris as well and defied themselves as such. Mm. Like that, the disease is justified and revivified. This nevertheless doesn't mean that the disease is Osiris, but mm. that he or she belongs to the Osiris followings community. And it's no surprise that Osiris is furthermore the god of the vegetation that dies and renews itself after each seasonal cycle. Um, besides the, the Osirian myth, uh, one should mention the solar, solar cycle. Um, the solar cycle was perceived as a complete cycle going from life to death and back. The solar god is born in the morning ages during the day and dies in the evening. He ends up in the underworld, in the solar bark, on which he will navigate the entire night to be reborn in the morning, and so on and so forth. This journey is not without danger, and the solar bark must face all kinds of dangers. The disease it identifies with the fate of both Osiris and the solar god. The Egyptian literature is hence characterized by a multiplicity of possibilities that appear in consistence to us, but not to the Egyptian. Mm. Um, Christoph, I'm sorry I could speak about this topic for hours, but I hope that I give you some understandings about the richness of the funerary concept in ancient Egypt. Yeah, yeah you did, and, and, and I could listen to this for hours as well, because <laughs> I... I, I, I... My, my fundamental reading, obviously, and, and I was always so impressed by the complexity and, and by, by how it also makes sense and how it's so very different from how we consider in, 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 in the Christian West the, the afterlife. And, and, and at times I felt that maybe the Egyptians were closer to, to what one can call the truth, obviously, in this. Because maybe it's not so easy as having the simple oppositionary body and soul narrative. Maybe there is much more involved than just the body and the soul. And, and, and I always was very much intrigued by, by this Egyptian tale. And, and thanks for, for being so uh, schematized. And, and I, I think it was all very clear. And, and, and I think a lot of people who don't know the Egyptian world will, will have learned a lot by this. And, and closely related to this second question, um, can you maybe also say something about the particular monument nature of the cult of the afterlife? We, we have the huge mastabas, if I pronounce this correctly. We have the pyramids. And then we have the incredibly impressive rock tombs of the Valley of the Kings, which I was so fortunate to see last year. And then we have obviously the funerary titan temples, etc., etc. And all of them are so beautifully decorated. <clears throat> now, why this grandeur? Why are all these hieroglyphs and words there so much, it, it, it surely isn't just a mere showing off. So first of all, I would like to say that the tomb is called House of Eternity in Egyptian. Mm. So to build a tomb is therefore theoretically the ultimate goal of every man. Mm. Wives are generally buried at the, at the sides of their husbands, except for the female members of the royal family, Feminine tombs are more than exceptional. We have some, but really that's exceptional. Mm. 
in in the wisdom texts we find such such assertion like in the instruction of Annie, uh, complete your station in the valley, the grave that shall conceal your corpse, place it first as a thing that matters in your eyes, like the great ancestor, may you rest within the tombs. Mm. So the tomb is a monument of eternity, but also a place that allows the deceased to reintegrate the people community, since tombs are regrouped in the necropolis and isolated. Mm. When he dies, the king integrates the divine sphere, but his postmortem fate remains mysterious. In the pyramid texts that are inscribed on the inner wall of the pyramids up to the fifth dynasty, mm -hmm. that means that uh, the great pyramids you, you know probably in, in ancient in, in Egypt are an epigraph. There is no text inside them. Mm -hmm. The royal fate is to join the stars and by so doing, to integrate the divine world. Those texts are extremely complex to understand mm. and they evoked the future of the king in the underworld on a quasi-metaphysical level. Mm. In the tomb of the King's Valley, uh, you mentioned, more than thousand years later, the royal fate is not so different from that of the common people. Mm. Texts and representation are sometimes very down to earth and show the king exercising his royal functions beside other major religious composition whose interpretation once again remains extremely complete, complicated because of the huge amount of religious and mythological references we do not have. Mm. From the second part of the first millennium BC, the royal tombs are not located in Egypt anymore because the kings are not anymore Egyptian. Mm -hmm. And the royal funerary practices are much more difficult to reconstitute. Mm -hmm. What we should not uh, forget is that the tombs are, you mentioned in your question were mm -hmm. not accessible as they are today. A part of the tomb, in the case of the private tombs, was dedicated to the cult, but the biggest part of it was sealed for all eternity. Hmm. Tombs are a kind of interface between the living and the, the dead. They have as a function to preserve the memory of the deceased. The pyramid you visited were closed and nobody was intending to enter after the burial. The funerary cult took place in a dedicated temple. Likewise, the tomb of the King's Valley were not meant to be visited, mm. even if the graffiti we found in them show that they could be reopened for inspections purposes. Mm. They were grouped in an almost inaccessible place. The funerary cult uh, took place in the million year temple near to the Nile. Tom text and representation can therefore not be considered as a will to affirm the king's prestige with respect to the mortal, but maybe for the gods. Mm -hmm. The temples had this function, even if the high walls prevented everybody to have access to these representations and even more to the text that could be read only by a very small proportion of the population. This, there is, however, a clean, clear willingness to show that the new king made better than his predecessor, that he is closer to the ideal of the gods. The text mentioned frequently the idea of what I did, nobody did it before. Mm. 
uh, access to um, to the whole temple was not guaranteed granted to everybody as well. The more one goes further into the temple, the more restricted were the number of people allowed to continue. Mm. However, texts are always present. They are, of course, organized, and one does not find the same kind of texts in the first court than um, in, in the vicinity of the Naos, the, the most the more um, sacred uh, mm. place of the temple. Mm. Those texts have the same function to overcome death. Uh, Egyptian were therefore everything. These texts are some kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, the nature of the ancient Egyptian writing system is by definition performative. Mm. So what we, you wrote uh, happened. Mm. The private tomb decoration um, on the other side um, has greatly evolved in the course of millennia. An essential point remains constant. As for the royal monument, the tomb is not accessible to everyone. There is the chapel, the chapel where the funeral take place, that, that remains accessible after the burial, but the vote was sealed. Mm. The second part was conceived for the deceased himself and only for him. Mm. Common graves remain mostly rare, at least before the first millennium BCE. The mastabas of the third millennium BCE contain some representation essentially linked to the daily life of the deceased. They show him or her performing um, his or her daily activities um, in the midst of his or her community. Mm. The text refer to the identity and the titles, the genealogy, the family and career of the deceased. The tomb is then a space not far from the daily life, but completely idealized. The, the objects found inside led us to think that the afterlife is conceived as a counter image of death. Mm. The deceased is figured under his best aspect with wife and children, healthy and busy working in the fields or performing tasks close to what he did in his life. He is in particular represented as a member of community. As I told before, this idea of, of, of the bonds, uh, mm. of, of the, the reunification. Mm. At the turn of the second and first millennium BCE, we observe an evolution and the tomb becomes a more abstract space that sometimes can be compared to a temple. Mm. Um, the objects and representation of the daily life disappear to the benefit of more and more complex texts linked to the rites of passage or, or, and to the life in the afterward. The amount of funerary material decreases. Common graves are no longer unusual, but the single burials do not disappear. Mm. Tomb walls become sometimes library where, where the funerary knowledges are inscribed for the eternity so that the deceased has all the information he needs to survive in the other world. Mm. Life experiences of the deceased are then shifted on other written writing medium and in other contexts. Mm. Okay, thanks. Here in the West, changing a little bit the, the, the nature of the question. Here in the West, we tend to read the past 
more often than not in an ahistorical and biased way, reading it through our Occidental modern, even Christian modern glasses. But that seems extremely inappropriate when looking at Egyptian culture, as we have understood by now. We probably should do it, in fact, in the exact opposite way. In this sense, we would also be able to understand better one of those incredibly important firsts that Egyptian culture has brought to the history of religion, namely the moralization of the afterlife, which is obviously related to the weighing, the famous weighing of the souls. Can you say something about this extremely fascinating aspect of ancient Egyptian uh, understanding of the afterlife? Well, I don't know if it's uh, a first, but um, ancient Egypt is determined by a principle called Ma'at mm. that is embodied by the goddess of the same na name. Mm. She is the daughter of the sun god Ra. Mm. We translate this term by truth, justice, or even by cosmic order, which is not very, very great. <laughs> it is the balance that is necessary to the world, or as Bernard Mathieu defined it, a rule for the social life considered as a cosmogonic principle by the willingness of the political power. It is the norm I mentioned when I spoke about this um, discourse between uh, the, the, the man and his bar, the norm yeah. of what existed and what must persist. The mad principle is intrinsic to the creation and the duty of each king is to maintain the mad through his deeds. Mm. They are both religious and moral as well as juridical. Mm. Everyone is in fact obliged to follow the mad. In other words, to behave properly and in harmony with his fellow humans as well as with the gods practicing rituals in the temples. The mad is also a principle that allows to maintain the social fabric among the individuals on earth and in the underworld. Mm. Death in this perspective is considered as an inversion or a reversal of the life norms, is upside down world. From the oldest time, the idea of justification seems to be encoded in the funerary practice. It is inspired by the daily life the ancient Egyptian restored to uh, resorted, sorry, uh, to the tribunals abundantly. Mm. But it is really in the Book of the Dead that this concept is codified, even if the idea of the heart waiting is older, we place that in the 19th century BCE. Mm. Two spells of this corpus play an important role in the judgment. The Book of the Dead 125 is one of the central spells of this corpus, mm. even if some papyrus um, does not contain it. It is a text highlighting the fact that the deceased did not commit a whole series of acts considered as opposite to the mad. Uh, this text is partially a narration and partially a figuration of the examination that the deceased has to undergo. It is con he is conducted in front of the, a tribunal defined as the whole of the two mad presided by the god Osiris. The deceased must speak to the 20, uh, 42 judges, mm. 
and give a stereotypical list of different bad actions that he did not commit. Mm. Um, I have, uh, I took some of 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 of, um, of example like mm -hmm. I have not done, um, I have done no falsehood. I have not robbed, I have not stolen, I have not killed men, I have not stolen the God's offering, I have not told lies, I have not committed perjury, I have not uh, been hot-tempered, I have not blasphemed to, uh, the God in my city, etc., mm. etc. Et And yeah, sometimes um, this negation can be compared to similar one in most of, of ancient and modern societies, mm. but other clearly refer to some practices, notably cultural practices that are completely and intimately Egyptian. Mm. It is very probable that they belong to the priestly world. It seems mm. indeed that this negative confession, as some call it, could have been recited during, during the initiation of the priests when they took their service. Hmm. Um, another uh, spell is the Biggie, uh, Book of the Dead 30, um, which was inscribed on amulets in the shape of a scarabaeus mm -hmm. placed on the chest of the mummy instead of her uh, heart. Hmm. Um, this text is, called, is, is a call to the heart in order that it does not turn against the disease. As I already mentioned, the heart was considered as the receptacle of the memory and the conscience. It is the fundamental element of the person that must be placed on the balance to be weighed on the basis of the mat represented by a feather. Mm. So the deeds performed during the earthly life must be conformed to the social norms so that the disease should not have to fear the test of the judgment. Furthermore, by acting according to the mat, the person can hope to have a longer life, allowing him or her to leave a legacy to their descendants and above all, a posterity through um, their tomb and in the collective memory. Mm. Okay, thanks. A more technical question also needs to be asked here. Um, how limited is the research on ancient Egyptians' relation to the afterworld? And you mentioned this aspect also already. The, the knowledge we have, the temples, the tombs, the periods, etc., are almost, almost always exclusively related to the wealthy. We know that there was a trickle-down effect from the pharaohs to the wealthy and then to the mm -hmm. poor, but uh, we, how do we know that this went further down? In short, how do we know about, or what do we know, and how much do we know about the ordinary Egyptians' uh, relation to the death? It is, of course, um, uh, very difficult to know how lived those who did not belong to the elites. Mm -hmm. But uh, since the majority of our documentation refers to these elites, um, it is also a question of definition. What you call poor mm. is sometimes complicated to define, but mm. it is true that we do not know much about the poorest part of the population. Um, the excavations reveal few or no graves. It is also possible that we do not want to see them, mm. as a colleague who deals with these questions told me, um, because it is, of course, 
more interesting to 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 work with those beautiful papyri or or, or the, the the beautiful tombs. Mm. Um, the main question is therefore whether the poor share the same funerary practices and beliefs of the elites, or whether they uh, their own practices were different. Mm. Um, we do not have so much opportunity to 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 answer this question. But for instance, in Amana. The city built under Akhenaton to establish his new residence and the necropolis, the textual and iconographical evidence give the impression that all share the same beliefs, but not the same practices. Mm. The other sites, uh, Yuban sites, show that often the bodies were not mummified, but naturally preserved because of the Egyptian dry climate. Mm. Burials have been um, detected in peripheral zone compared to the official necropolis, which is not always adapted for an optimal preservation of the body. Mm. There are simple holes in the sand, the body being wrapped in a shroud and laid on a mat, and bodies are not disposed according to a specific orientation, and some objects are sometimes laid in the tomb, such as amulets, where with some fruits or personal belongings. And very rarely the tomb contains a wooden coffin decorated with some hieroglyphs attesting then that there is a transmission of the funerary practices and beliefs. Mm. Um, the analysis of the skeleton show that most of these people died very young and were not in a good shape. Mm. Without inscriptions, only the anthropological analysis can provide information about the category of people they belong to. They are probably workers uh, that have physical tasks, maybe the unskilled artisans that build the city. Mm. Sometimes um, small stele show the location of the tomb and in the very rare case, um, when we found more elaborated objects, they look very similar, mm. but are a bit rougher than the more elaborated burial. Mm. We can therefore conclude that there is a common belief, but that its practice is adapted to the social and economic milieu. Okay, thank you. Now, you're specialized in, uh, in the so-called Book of the Dead. Before I will ask you somewhat of a, a tricky question, returning to the previous question, could you please say a bit more about this book? And, and when I say book, I'm using quotation marks, even though this can't be seen. Can you say something about this, please? Yeah. Um, the name Book of the Dead has been given to the papyri found in the graves by the inhabitants of Gurna on the west side of the Nile in front of the modern Luxor. Hmm. Um, Carl Ricard Lepsius, the first scientific editor of the Book of the Dead in the middle of the 19th century, retained this name, but the ancient Egyptian title is Spells of Coming Forth by Day. Mm. That is to say, the possibility for the disease to get in and out of the underworld. Mm. Um, it is a collection of around 200 spells that one could describe as the encyclopedia of everything what, you, what one needs in order to survive in the afterlife. Mm. It is not a sacred book like the Bible mm. or a linear description of the deceased journey to reach a potential paradise. 
even if a certain order or grouping in the sequence of the text can be observed. Mm. Um, speaking of papyri, none of them is uh, identical. They vary in form and content. Some measures a few dozen centimeters, whereas the longest, uh, the longest measures almost 40 meters oh, wow. with 96 pages and mm. belong to a woman. Some are decorated with vignettes more or less elaborated, mm -hmm. other contains only text, some are written in hieroglyphs and other in hieratic. Some keep the whole 165 spells, whereas other only a selection of text or even only one text. Mm. Even in the middle of the first millennium BCE, we speak about uh, when we speak about the standardization of the Book of the Dead, we cannot find two identical uh, manuscripts. Mm. So the word book is therefore not correct, mm. strictly speaking, but um, we have to use it in order yes. to understand each other. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Book of the Dead proceeds um, from the reworking and adaptation of ancient texts like the pyramid text. Uh, which are probably the oldest religious text ever, and the, the coffin text with the addition of new texts. Mm. It is not a frozen corpus, and during its whole period of use, texts were removed or added, reworked, extended, or shorted. Mm. These paths are written on different textual media, Papyrus, mummy bandages, tomb walls, sarcophagus, or different objects in connection with the text, such as amulets, mm. scraps, brick, statuettes, etc. Mm. Um, you probably know the famous mask of Tutankhamun, mm -hmm. for instance. Um, on the back of this mask, you have one spell of the Book of the Dead. Mm. Um, several teams are approached uh, corresponding to the useful knowledge uh, for the survival in, in the afterlife. So I already mentioned that uh, several times, but the restoration of the physical integrity is a, mm. is a very important part of, of the Book of the Dead, the reunification of the various parts of the disease, the protection against the demons and other dangerous entities in the underworld. This protection is often in relation with the knowledge of the name mm. and the identification of the body parts with the appropriate divinity. Mm. Um, as well, the necessity to obtain the material goods that will guarantee the survival, so food and, and, and beverage or something mm. like that. The revivification and regeneration according to the Osirian and the solar cycle as well, the possibility to move in the underworld thanks to ge geographic knowledge, mm. the restoration of the social link between the living and the dead, etc., etc. Mm. You probably um, 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 uh, hear that I, I often use the word knowledge mm. in my description of the Book of the Dead. The ability to name and identify the elements around him give to the deceased a power over them. Mm. Um, these texts as, as are composed by litanies of name, hymns, prayers, or magical spells that contain a dangerous potentiality that of destroying the object named. Mm. This corpus is therefore full of treats. Mm. To own a book of the dead means ends to 
be sure to have an ideal eternity close to the gods and to move freely. Mm. Thanks for this. And I, I might now ask a trick question. Uh, as you have just come to say the Book of the Dead and, and its fellow books and texts, they exist of spells and formula that helped the dead person to arrive in paradise in, in the fields of reed. Now, it has been claimed, and, and, and I always felt when I was reading parts uh, of the Book of the Dead or, or when I was reading about it, that considering they had all these spells and formula, the whole process of arriving in the beyond was actually a fake or, or that the game was rigged. <laughs> the, mo the moment you knew the spells and the required formula, you would pass through all the gates and your heart that was placed on the scales by Anubis would not weigh more than the mat feather. And so Amit the crocodile-headed devourer would not eat it and destroy you for all eternity. But maybe that's uh, my cynical nature that comes up. <laughs> was it a rigged game? And, and, and was the so-called moralization of, of the afterlife, as we talked about before, was it a sham? So first of all, um, it should be underlined that not everyone was able to own a book of the dead. It is a very precious and rare object reserved to the elite, uh, to the elite among other the priests, but not only them. Um, in its first phase of use, the papyri belong mostly to men who often associate their wife by representing her at their side. From the first millennium BC onwards, Several women had their own uh, manuscript and they are therefore rarely mentioned in their husband's papyri. Mm. Um, furthermore, the scene of the Book of the Dead uh, 125 you are speaking about is not always inserted in the manuscript and one mm. should ask why. I don't mm. have the answer to this question, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. Obviously, the first impression led by the Book of the Dead and especially by the scene of the judgment is that fate is set but one should not forget that other non-funerary texts like the wisdom texts advise the same behavior. Mm. There is a form of, of consistency. Mm. Um, every disease needs ideally to appear before Osiris, to be judged, to be part of the Osiris following. In this perspective, everyone passed the judgment, of course. Mm. One could think that it is a form of hypocrisy, but as underlined by, by Boyo Okinga, it is an affirmation, I quote, of ethical values universally acknowledged by society mm. as ethical standards that the writers accepted and with which they identified. Mm. However, I would like to say that to represent or to write this text was not sufficient to avoid the second dance I mentioned earlier. Mm. What the funerary literature shows us is that there is a real fear that things might not go as they should. Mm. There is therefore an enormous investment by everyone to assure his or her survivors. First of all, of course, a financial investment, even if financial is not the correct word, mm. because the preparation of a funerary equipment had a cost, but also a moral investment, mm. since the reputation acquired during the lifetime allows to remain in the collective memory and thereby to benefit from the funerary cult. Mm. Of course, this is the theory, but we have sources that show this fear. There are, for instance, the threats, again, anybody who could cause damages to the tomb or destroy it. 
And around the passage between the second and the first millennium BCE, the tombs of the Valley of the King have been damaged and plundered. Mm. It's just an example. The acts have been well documented because we have the interrogation protocols of the perpetrators. We learned, for instance, that the guilty persons were condemned to commit suicide so that they could not have the right to the afterlife. Royal mummies have been furthermore violated. The bandages protecting the body have been removed to rope the precious objects that were put on the mummy. Um, but the priests of this period who were in charge in Thebes brought together the mummies in a cachette, a hidden location, after restoring them. By the way, we are not sure if the priests were not responsible, responsible <laughs> for this um, for this um, plundering. Yeah. <laughs> Texts on the mummies are then speaking of repetition of the burial. Mm. The exact nature of this reburial is impossible to describe, but it shows the imperative necessity to preserve the integrity of the body. Mm. Even centuries after the death of the owners, in this case, 100, cent- uh, 100 years after, and to accomplish the funeral, the funerary rituals, so I think we can't say that all was settled. Mm-mm-mm. Okay, thanks. And again, sometimes my cynical nature comes to the top. <laughs> I, have to, I have to repress it. Anyway, to conclude, I think one of the most important things I learned, at least by studying the Egyptian culture of the beyond, is that death did not consist, or was not mainly that of an existential drama. Obviously, there is a shock and people certainly mourned, but if all rituals were fulfilled and continued, there was this maintenance, this, this continuation, there I say, this communion between the living and the dead. Can you relate to this and maybe say something more about that? Um, one of, of, I think one of the, the sentences who can resume uh, the, 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 the perspective about death um, for the ancient Egyptian is maybe this one, oh, you who loves life and hates death. Mm. This sentence appears frequently on the entrance of a private tomb to incite the, the visitors to say a prayer for the tomb's owner so that he or she can be revivified. Mm. Life is hence desirable and death detestable. But from the point of view of the organization around death, it should be underlined that the dead are remote from the living, even if their funerary cult plays a central role in the organization of life in ancient Egypt. Mm. The necropolis are often on the west side of the Nile and on the margins. In theory, no tomb was built near the houses, with the exception of some children tombs found inside the house, but this remains very rare. Mm. Death in ancient Egypt can therefore be analyzed schematically as the prolongation of life. In other words, the afterlife is by many aspects very close to the life before death, even Mm. if some funerary texts uh, bring us in universes that have nothing to invite to our modern science fiction. <laughs> it is a stage in the human life. One should not accept death, but one cannot avoid it. In mm. this sense, it is no drama. Mm. However, as you mentioned in your question, the passage from life to death constitutes a separation, a rupture of the social bonds, as I already told you. Mm. From the 
point of view of the living, this separation is considered as tragic as it is attested in the mourning scenes and the lamentation texts. But I should nuance this assumption since it is essentially after the 14th century BC that the first expressions of grief and mourning are uh, visible in the text and representation, notably in the figuration of the mourners who tear their hairs, break down and cry. Mm. But lamentations are also connected to the Osirian myth. The two sisters, Isis and Nephthys, mourn their dead brother Osiris. And during the funerals, the widow seems to replay these moments that finally allows to revitalize the deceased. Mm. These texts um, describe death as a reversal of what should be a world um, mm. uh, full of pain, darkness, privation, remoteness, and loneliness. In these texts, the afterlife is not presented as an enchanting place, on the contrary, no one came back to testify to what happens there. Mm. Nobody knows the needs and wishes of the deceased who are trapped and silent. Mm. A very late uh, composition described this place as dark and sleeping, where thirst and darkness dominate. As remarked by um, Mark Smith, however, this pessimistic view is not in contradiction with the positive ideas about the afterlife in this way to articulate a more rounded balanced view of dying incorporating mm. both the beneficial and the untoward aspect of this mm. likewise the harper songs are focused on a similar topic death as an infinite long time opposite to the ephemeral aspects of life that we nevertheless cannot avoid in this text, the idea that nobody came back to tell us how it is, is also present. Mm. It seems that we do not have to fear death, but the judgment. Mm. This judgment can cause the second death, but also prevent the disease from leaving the state into which the first death plunged him. As shown by Jan Asman, the disease must be able to leave death as death in order to enter internal life. Mm. A last example comes into my mind when you speak about death as a dramatic moment. It is a very rarely, so it's, it's, a, it's a letter, a very mm -hmm. touching letter that a man named Bute Amon wrote to his dead wife to blame her. Mm. And this text is written on a sarcophagus at a time when this object gains in importance um, in tombs. Mm -hmm. uh, then that are less and less decorated. Mm -hmm. I like an expression of Sylvie Donat to describe the sarcophagus. She speaks from a ritual machine. Mm -hmm. um, the text contains the widower lamentation who mourn his wife. He speaks to her to obtain news from her. Death cuts the communication be between them and Buteamon blame her because she does not intercede for him with the gods. Okay. It is one of the purposes of the funeral rituals so that the deceased should be able to do so. Mm -hmm. The text is filled with despair that is emphasized through the repetition of the sentence, alas, Iktai is not alive. Mm -hmm. Once again, the ambivalence of the ancient Egyptian concepts is visible. Death belongs to the natural course of life, but this state is not desirable. 
through the practices of the rituals by the livings and the necessary knowledge of the spells, as well as the restorating of the integrity of the disease, there seem not to be a drama anymore, at least according to the written and iconographical sources we have. Mm. Okay, thanks for this, Anik. Thanks for this extremely informative and, and also very pleasant conversation. It's been an thanks honor to, you to, to have you here. No, oh, it's <laughs> I could go on for a long time, but I think it's better to stop here so that people can breathe and then maybe they, they get back into or they finally start reading up on their Egyptology. Thanks a lot. You also, dear listener, if you like our volunteer work here at PICT, you can now also consider supporting us by becoming an active member of our institution. And for more information about how to join PICT, please visit our website. Thanks for being on this uh, date with death. My name is Christoph van Houten. Thank you. Bye.